Please turn to Mark in chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, I want to read verses 13 through 16. Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. Upon finding that, please pray with me. Now, Father in heaven, as we come to your word, I pray you would enable us to come like children, not childish, but trusting in humility, um, understanding that we come to you with nothing, and we expect and need you to provide everything. And so, Father, we pray that you would do just that, that our hearts would be right before you as we come. We come empty-handed. We come open-handed to receive from you. Please fill us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms put his hands on them, and bless them. I was listening this week uh, uh, to an interview uh, on the radio with an actor. Actually, let me rephrase that. It was the actor who was being interviewed. I wasn't listening with the actor. Uh, but uh, the actor was being interviewed, and this particular actor, whose name I'm sure if I could remember, you would know who he is. <laughs> Because you're probably better at this than I am. I, I, I don't. I, I pride myself on looking at the newspaper and seeing the ages of various people and not knowing who they are. You know, in that little section that gives ages of famous people. So I'm not necessarily up on famous people. But whoever this actor was, this actor had been also a child actor. He had been an actor as a child and now was an adult and had made that transition and was talking about it. And said, however, in the midst of that, that he still had not ever had an acting lesson. And the interviewer asked him how then he could be such a successful actor without an acting lesson. And he said, I have the ability that when I walk on the set, I can feel the emotions of my character. And it's through the emotions that the story is told. And can you imagine the emotions of the various ones that take place, especially in the flip-flop of emotions that take place in this little story, this little incident that took place in the life of Jesus. We have these parents who are bringing their children to Jesus for a blessing. No doubt they're filled with a sense of expectancy, in fact, even perhaps a sense of destiny for their children. They have the opportunity to bring their children to this great teacher, this rabbi. Perhaps they even had a sense of of greater than just rabbi as they come to bring their children to be blessed by Jesus. Perhaps they're thinking that he would pronounce upon them the, the great high priestly blessing and that Jesus himself would touch them and say, may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you, and may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Can you imagine the sense of excitement, expectation, destiny that the parents have as they come to Jesus to offer to him their children for his blessing? And then they meet these disciples who rebuke them for this. 
When they begin to think, is this so wrong that we're coming to Jesus to have him bless our children? What is there about what we're doing that's so negative, that's so nasty, that's so wrong that these disciples would, would, would not simply just explain to us that Jesus is busy at the moment or he's resting or he can't come right now, but, but, but rebuke us for this as if we're doing something wrong, something offensive to Jesus. Their hopes dashed. No doubt the disciples think they're doing something very favorable to Jesus. And for him, because you see, they didn't keep everybody from coming to Jesus. They seemed to allow a lot of people to come to Jesus because a lot of people did come to Jesus without their rebuke. People who were sick came to Jesus. People who needed instruction came to Jesus. People who were demon-possessed came to Jesus. Even the Pharisees came to Jesus. You wonder if Jesus hadn't hoped from time to time that the disciples had kept the Pharisees away from him. But no, never All kinds of people came to Jesus. But in this particular occasion, the disciples thought they were doing Jesus a favor, doing something admirable by keeping these parents with these children away from Jesus. No doubt they felt pretty good about about that until Jesus saw what they did and he was indignant towards them. You see, it made perfect sense to the disciples to keep these children away from Jesus because in the days of Jesus, children had no standing at all. Not only were they not to be heard, they were not to be seen particularly. They just simply didn't have any rights, didn't have any standards. They simply weren't important. The disciples looked at Jesus and they looked at these children and they said, well, these children aren't important for Jesus to see. Therefore, it makes great sense to keep these parents from bringing these children. They thought they were doing something good, no doubt, but Jesus was indignant. It isn't that Jesus just saw this as a teachable moment. Oh, here are the disciples being the disciples again. But he was indignant, which means he was angry. And he vented that anger towards them. And now the disciples realizing that they had done something wrong, the parents wondering, well, we hadn't done something wrong. And so Jesus looks to his disciples and says, with, with a certain measure of passion and emotion and even anger towards his disciples, let the little children come to me. That is, how dare you keep them from coming to me? Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive uh, the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is really, really important, Peter, James, and John, and the boys. You shouldn't keep these parents from bringing their children to me because, you see, to do so misrepresents the nature of the kingdom of God. To keep these parents with these children away, to keep these children from coming to me for my blessing, misrepresents the nature of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus was so indignant. Because you see, it was the kingdom of God and the understanding of the kingdom of God that was at stake here. Because you see, that meant everything. When Jesus came on the scene, as we said all the way through this Gospel of Mark, he told people, repent and believe the good news. And the good news was that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was right before them. The kingdom of heaven was near. Don't miss that. Because you see, to miss the kingdom of God is to miss the grace of God. It's to miss the blessing of God. It's to miss the fellowship of God. It's to miss a relationship with God. It's to miss being part of the household of God. It's to miss living under the protection of God. 
It's to miss the provision of God as He gives forgiveness, as He gives guidance, as He gives comfort, as He gives encouragement, as He gives strength to persevere, as He gives life. To miss the kingdom of God is to miss everything and to wind up to spend your life for all eternity outside of the blessing of God, the grace of God, the protection of God, the provision of God, the life that comes from God. It's to remain outside of that. It's to remain under His wrath. It's to remain as His enemy. It's to remain in hell. And so for Jesus, this was of the utmost importance that nothing would misrepresent to people the kingdom of God, that nothing would confuse that. Remember last week, we talked about marriage, but we talked about marriage as an image of God, that everything that God creates has been created to to image Him, to reflect Him, to show Him. And so when God instituted marriage... When he said that a man should leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and that the two should become one flesh. And thus, what God has joined together, let no man, let no person separate. That was so important to Jesus that he talked of divorce in grave terms. And the reason he did that is, he said, because marriage is to image the love that God has for us. That people are to see in the context of marriage the kind of love that God has for us, that unbreakable, passionate, faithful, pure, holy love. And when divorce happens, it misrepresents that. When people see divorce, they begin to wonder, what is love really? Can love really be broken? And God wants to image to us through our lives and through marriages that no, love is faithful, love is pure. Love endures. Love never fails. And so that's why Jesus spoke so harshly against divorce. Well, have you ever wondered why children... Parents have wondered that. (laughs) Children have wondered that. I remember growing up thinking, watching my dad go off to work, thinking, oh, I've got to go to school. I can't wait till I get older and all I have to do is work. (laughs) I have it so hard as a schoolboy. My dad has it so easy as just having to make a living. I've repented a number of times uh, over that one. But uh, you wonder, why, why children? Why, why is it that people don't come into the world as adults? I know what moms are thinking. That would be fine as long as God had a different way to bring them into the world. Uh, but you wonder, why, why children? So that they could represent for us, model for us, something very significant about the kingdom of God. So that when we look at children, we would understand more of the nature of the kingdom of God. That's why when these parents were bringing these children to Jesus and the disciples hindered them, the disciples kept them, Jesus was indignant because he's saying, listen, if you don't do this, if you, if, if you don't allow them to come to me, if they don't come to me, they'll misunderstand the nature of the kingdom because one of the reasons that children exist, one of the reasons that children are children, one of the reasons that people come to, into the world as children is so they can see this and I don't want them to miss it. Let's just think for a minute. What would have happened if the disciples would have been successful, that is to say, 
What would have happened if the parents bring these children to Jesus, the disciples intervene and says, no, you can't, and so they leave, they, they go away. Jesus doesn't see it. Jesus doesn't intervene. And so these parents then pick up their kids and they leave and they never have the opportunity of coming to Jesus for this blessing. What would the parents think about the kingdom of God? Well, what would those who would hear of this incident think of the kingdom of God? What would these children, no doubt small, perhaps even infants at the moment, at that time, what would they think about the kingdom of God as they grew up hearing about the story? Wouldn't the parents think, our children aren't special to Jesus? They're not really special. They're not really important to God. Wouldn't the others along with these parents begin to think, I guess in order to receive the blessing of God, I guess in order to receive the blessing of Jesus, uh, there needs to be something significant about you, something, something that, that, that commends you uh, to Jesus, something that would cause him to take time out of his day to notice you. And then I guess that's what it means to get the blessing of Jesus. That's what it really requires. And perhaps these kids would grow up thinking, I hope someday in my life I'm able to do something noteworthy enough to receive the notice of Jesus. That perhaps I could be successful enough, there could be something about me that's attractive enough that I might then be able to receive the blessing of God because obviously, as a child, I didn't have it. So I hope that maybe someday. But you see, if that was the case, that would utterly misrepresent the kingdom of God. Notice verse 14, Jesus says this, he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now that wasn't a guarantee that these particular kids would be able, would, be, would become Christians, would enter the kingdom of God. But he says there's something about children. It belongs to such as these. Well, who were they? Who were the these children? These were children whose parents were bringing them to Jesus. It's important for us to remember that children were always in God's covenant with his people. That the children of believers, the children of those who came to God, the children of those who belonged to God, were always special to God. That doesn't mean they were all saved or all would be saved, but it means they were all special to him. In the Old Testament, there are special instructions to parents. Special instructions to parents to teach your children the truths about God so that they would come to know Him and to fear Him. That God addressed the children because the children were part of the covenant community of ancient Israel. On, on Passover days, the children were not only allowed to but instructed to interrupt their dads at the Passover meal on a number of different occasions to ask questions. Why? So they would understand what it is that God had done for His people so that they too could enter into that, they too could understand that, and they too could learn to fear the Lord. In fact, it was the little boys, the eight-day-old boys, that carried in their bodies the mark of this covenant. And it was circumcision. And it was there that God marked out these little boys who represented the children who we're able then to be the covenant sign bearers to say that if you have the faith of Abraham, then you will be cleansed. Then you will belong to this people 
the children were always special to God. The children of the covenant were always special to God. The children of the covenant always belonged. In fact, this was true even as Peter announced the new covenant. Turn just so you can see this to Acts in chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is a, uh, an incident right after the Holy Spirit has come upon um, the disciples of Jesus. Uh, right after the Spirit of God has come upon, uh, upon all these people. 3,000 will eventually be saved. And Peter is preaching a sermon. At the end of his sermon, in verse 37, he says this. Or it says this. When the people heard this... They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He's saying, Listen, I want just like in the old covenant... When God made a pronouncement to the people about his covenant, about his promise of salvation, he made sure the people understood, this is for you and your children. Please pass this on to your children. Your children are special to me. Bring your children to me. Because I'm up close to them. And so even on the day of Pentecost, when Peter's preaching to this crowd of new converts, these first Christians, he says, I want you to understand that you're to repent and be baptized. Uh, And that's the, the promise of God. That he will give to you the Holy Spirit. And this promise, you must understand, is for you and your children. Don't forget your children. Bring your children. It shouldn't surprise us then when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7. Turn to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 13. He's writing interestingly about marriage and divorce. He says, and if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So the situation is this. There's a a Christian woman married to an unbelieving man and uh, he desires to stay with her. So the question would be, should she divorce him? Paul's answer is no. Verse 14 says this. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. That doesn't mean saved, but in some sense set apart. The unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now there's something, you see, in the connection from God through believing parents to children. That they're special. And when he says they're holy, again, it doesn't mean that they're saved, but there's some sense in which they're set apart. They're different from the children, frankly, of unbelieving parents. God is saying, your children are special to me. So the nature of the kingdom of God is for you to bring your children to me. I don't want to exclude your children from this covenant blessing. Bring your children to me. In fact, turn to Ephesians in chapter 6. In verse 1, Paul writes children. Now, that's significant that he writes children. <laughs> Why is it significant that he writes children? Well, it's significant because we've used this verse often with our children about others to obey us. And, uh, but really, the significance here is that Paul is writing a letter to the church. 
And he knows that in that covenant community, in the context of the church, are children. And he knows that God includes in that covenant the children. And so he says to that, so he addresses the children. So he says, children, obey your parents. He doesn't say, parents, remind your... He says, children, I'm addressing you because I know you're there. I know you're here in the context of the church because God includes you in this covenant community. Children are important. Parents, bring your children to me. Paul says, children, come up close. I want you to hear about God. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So he addresses the children. In fact, the picture that we receive when we baptize our children, when we baptize infants, is this exact picture. It's this picture of taking our children to Jesus, taking our children to God for his blessing. It doesn't mean that it saves them any more than circumcision saved those little eight-day-old boys. But we understand that when we bring our children to God, it isn't simply a dedication. We're not simply dedicating our children to Him. We're doing that. But it's more than that. God is giving us His sign. He's saying, this gospel, this promise is for you and your children. And he's saying to the parents, relax. Your children are important to me. It isn't so much we're saying, oh God, here's our child, please don't forget about him. It's God saying to us, bring your children, I haven't forgotten about them. Thus, the blessing is the fact that the promise is for them that if they repent of their sins, if they believe in Jesus, then they too will be cleansed. And because they're significant, because they're important, bring them to me and I will place a blessing upon them and I will give them a sign because they're your children. I will give you a sign that says your children are important and I will give them a sign that says if they believe in me, I will cleanse them from their sins. So you see, if the disciples of Jesus would have kept the parents from bringing the children, they would have distorted, they would have misrepresented the nature of the kingdom because the kingdom is for our children as well. So he says, bring them. But there's something else here in verse 15 that we mustn't miss. In verse 15 we read this. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never, ever enter it. What does he mean by that? How is it that we as adults perhaps can receive the kingdom as a little child? Now some would say uh, that means that we need, we need to receive the kingdom uh, like a child because children are innocent. That would make us wonder if Jesus had ever hung out much with children, I, I think. Uh, because they're not, God bless them, innocent. Now they look innocent on those first opening days of their lives. But, of course, they're simply concealing the truth from us, which at a particular moment in time they will reveal, some earlier, some later. But innocence really isn't, isn't it. My favorite line I've used before of J. Vernon McGee, the great uh, yet dead radio preacher still these days as they continue to play his tapes. 
I always tell my children I'm going to harass them all the days of their lives. That's why we tape these services. Uh, so they'll always, they'll always have me to listen to uh, anytime, day and or night. Um, but I remember one time he was explaining why he doesn't preach Mother's Day sermons, and he doesn't for the same reason I don't, uh, one of which is there's no, it's a very difficult thing to preach because of the difficulty of the day, because most people want you to talk about how lovely their children are. And he says the problem with that is that he needs to tell uh, these parents that that little cute baby, as he puts it in his wonderful Texas draw, draw is a stinkweed born in sin. (laughs) And that's the problem. So it isn't innocence in which we come to Jesus. If it were innocence, we would be in a great deal of trouble. The Bible doesn't point to our inherent innocence. The Bible points to our inherent sinfulness. And that being the problem. If Jesus said you must come as a child, that is to say you must come in innocence, none of us therefore could come in our own, in our own innocence. The Bible says that naturally speaking, we're rebellious against God and under his, his wrath by nature, objects of the wrath of God. And so we mustn't fool ourselves and think, okay, to come into the kingdom then, what this is meaning is that these children are coming in innocence. Nor does it mean that we should simply have a, a very simple faith or a, an uninformed faith. He isn't looking at the ignorance of these little ones or their inability to reason. That's the point. Because nowhere in Scripture is little faith commended. Nowhere in Scripture is simple faith commended. We're to be told to believe God. Oh, yes, there's the faith of a mustard seed. But the point of that parable isn't to tell us we should have little faith, but it's to tell us that the point is not so much how much faith, but the fact that our faith is in God and He is the great one. So, so that's the point of that simple faith. Little faith is never commended in Scripture. But the truth of children is this, that they have no standing. And they're utterly, utterly dependent upon us. Uh, Children come unable to satisfy, unable to meet their own needs. The point of a child, the point of an infant, the point of a little one is that they come with a bundle of needs, none of which they can fulfill on their own. If left alone, they'll simply die. They can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't change themselves. Uh, They can't comfort themselves. They, They simply can't They're unable. And the point of Jesus in saying, if you want to enter into the kingdom of of God, you must come as a child. That is to say, you must come in complete dependence upon God. You must come with absolutely nothing. Next week, we'll look at one of the most tragic situations in all of the Bible. This rich man comes to Jesus. And not only is he wealthy, but he's, he's moral also. He has a desire and even it appears to have some success in obeying the law of God. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus says, well, what do the commandments say? And they talk about the commandments and the man says, I've obeyed all of these from my youth. And Jesus, knowing that, frankly, he really hasn't because the essence of the command is to love to love God and love others from a sincere heart. And so he challenges the man to sell everything that he has, give it to the poor, and come and follow Jesus. That is, come completely dependent upon Christ and not dependent at all upon himself. And the scripture says that the man went away sad. Couldn't do it. Because his dependence really was on himself, his own ability and his stuff. And he wanted to be commended for all of that. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
This is the kingdom of God that you're entering. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, where everything comes from God. Thus, you must acknowledge your kingdom is all wrong. Your kingdom can't satisfy. Your kingdom doesn't suffice. And you must come as a child and say, No, I have nothing. All I have is my sin. All I have is my waywardness. All, of my, all that I have is my weakness. And thus I come to the kingdom of God for you to fill, for you to give me strength. That's what it means to come as a child. Turn to Matthew in chapter 18. In verse 1. Just to see this. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them and, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That is the, nature, the, the, the characteristic of the child. The point of the illustration, the thing you're to see in this child is humility, not pride. Humility, need, dependence, not independence. And thus, Jesus could make these statements. For instance, turn to Matthew in chapter 11, verse 25. After speaking a curse, really, on the unrepentant, in verse 25, Jesus says this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. And when Jesus speaks of the wise and learned, he's not talking about educational achievement, educational levels, any more than when he talks about the little children in this passage. He's talking about age. When he speaks of the wise and the learned, he's speaking of those who in their own minds think they understand life, think they have it together, think that they can satisfy themselves, think that they can lead themselves. Or there may be a place for God that they might make when they think they need him, but they use him only to affirm their plans and their ideas and their direction of life. He says, I'm glad that you've kept them from the wise and learned because you see the wise and learned will never get it. He says, but I'm glad you've given them to the little children. And by that he doesn't mean infants, he doesn't mean three-year-olds, he doesn't mean six-year-olds. He means those who are not wise and learned in their own eyes, who understand their need, understand their dependence upon God. So you can have a PhD and be a little child in this sense. So he goes on, verse 28, Come to me then, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What does he mean by that? He means little children, those of you who understand your need, understand the dependence that you have upon me, come to me. I know you're weary from trying to do it on yourself. I know you're weary trying to lead your own life. I know you're weary from all of that, and that's a great burden, but come to me. And I'll give you rest from that because I'll be your king. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. 
in verse 3. Not that it really matters, but this verse for me is um, the one that, uh, frankly, keeps me alive. When Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he began with this one, blessed, that is, highly favored. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is to say, it's not what you bring that makes you blessed. It isn't that to receive the blessing of God, you have to have a standing, you have to have something with which you can commend yourself to God. In fact, all of that's false, all that's misleading, all that would misrepresent the nature of the kingdom. He said, you're blessed when, you're, when you understand you're utterly spiritually bankrupt. You're completely dependent upon God. That He is the only one who can lead you. He is the only one who can satisfy you. He's the only one who can forgive you. He's the only one who can carry you. He said, when you get to that point, you, when you understand that, when you come without anything in your, ha- in your hand, when you come knowing there's nothing to commend yourself to Him, He says, then you receive the blessing of God. And you enter in to the kingdom of heaven. Let me end with this, Psalm number 81. And verse 10. <clears throat> if you come into my office, there's a little picture, probably five by seven, that a man in... Uh, and God, forgive me. I don't even remember his name. That a man gave me about 15 years ago. It was a photograph that he had taken. Uh, and he had had it... And I preached from Psalm 81.10, which is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It's a picture of a mother bird hovering over her nest with a worm in her mouth. And a baby bird with its mouth open. And you know when baby birds open their mouths, they no longer have a head. I mean, it just, it just it seems to open so incredibly wide. And you look at that little thing and you go, that bird is needy. A, because all it's going to get is a worm. And it's excited about that. But, but that bird can't do anything but sit in that nest and wait and hope that the mother bird loves it enough to go out and pick worms and bring back. For if that doesn't happen, that bird will die. And God says, here's how I want your posture to be. A little child, a baby bird. I want you to understand your spiritual bankruptcy before me. There's nothing you can do to impress me. (laughs) In fact, your life depresses in that sense, God, because of our sin. So he says, I want you to come to me in humility. Your kingdom's gone. You recognize you're no longer the ruler and you know you're in need. So you come to me and I am the Lord your God, therefore. And I'm the one who brought you out of the kingdom of darkness. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of sin. 
I'm the one who brought you out of this misery. So I am the Lord your God who brought you out of that. Now, do you want to know how to face me? Do you want to, do you want to know your posture towards me? Do you, do you want to know how to live in my kingdom? Here's how to do it. Don't bring me anything. Open your mouth wide. That's the nature of the kingdom of God. And so you see, if these disciples of Jesus would have kept these parents from bringing these little children for Jesus' blessing, these disciples would have been allowed to misrepresent the kingdom in the worst possible way. Because the nature of the kingdom is for the weak ones. The nature of the kingdom is for the ones who can't. The nature of the kingdom is really for everyone, for that fits all of us. The nature of the kingdom is for those who come like little children who sit like baby birds. Because the nature of the kingdom is that God is the king, that God is the deliverer, that God is the provider, that God is the comforter, that God is the encourager, that God is the teacher, that God is the, the leader, that God is the, God is the guider, that God is the strengthener, that God is the preserver. We need him. If you know that, come to him and you'll be in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can be honest before you, that we no longer need to play the wearying games of suppressing this truth and thinking that we are masters of our own destiny, that we can control our own lives, that we're really in charge in any sense. So, Father, thank you that you speak to us the truth and in your great majesty and kindness. You reveal to us who you are that we might see who we are in comparison and submit all that we are to you. So, Father, I pray that we would be people who live in this kingdom of God, ruled by you, protected by you, provided for by you, blessing you that you would receive the glory from that and that we would walk with you this I pray in Jesus name Amen please stand for the benediction as you do I remind you uh, that our Sunday school classes will begin in about 15 minutes so please uh, take advantage of that I remind you that elders are available to pray as well Take advantage of that. I remind you that our tours will begin of the building. I remind you of our time together on Wednesday evening. A lot to think about. The response to the benediction is a simple one. It's simply this. I depend on Jesus. Amen. And when you say that, what you're saying is, I come to him like a little child. I'm sitting before him like a baby bird with my mouth wide open. Because I depend upon him. And when you say amen, you're saying, yes, that's exactly the way it is. Please receive this as God's benediction. And now may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, I depend on Jesus. Amen.